Welcome to episode number two of the Coach's Show podcast presented by Bud Light. Week two of the NFL season is in the books, and if it's possible, the games were even more exciting than week one. I'm Brian Billick with Jim Mora, and from a coach's perspective, we'll be breaking down all the decisions made from Sunday, all of the best performances, and our thoughts on each week's winners and losers. The Coach's Podcast is also the doppelganger, if you will, to the Coach's Show that airs Monday on the NFL Network at 6.30 p.m. Let's get right to it. Certainly week two did not disappoint on the excitement front. A lot of close games. All right, Jim, topic one. Uh, we got to talk about Michael Vick and the concussion situation in with the Eagles, of course, going into the season. Everybody, the concern was, can Michael Vick perform for 16 weeks? Here we are week two. Let's talk a little bit about what Andy Reid and the Eagles have to do in dealing with his concussion. Oh, they've got a tough situation this week in that there could be some uncertainty going into later in the week as to whether or not Mike will be available for them. And so uh, being that Vince Young is also injured and we don't know his status, you know, <laughs> what do they do at the quarterback position? Do they wait and see if Mike can play? Uh, what's the status of Vince Young? Is he a guy that's going to be available to him or do they have to go out and get what would amount to a fourth quarterback? Yeah, let's talk about the sequence that they have to go through technically. And again, some of this is out of the Eagles' hands. The, the league, rightfully so, and everybody's very much aware of how concussions and the prevention of concussions, the proper treatment of concussions, is kind of the buzz thing around the league right now to the point where they've taken it out of the individual club's hands. Michael Vick will be evaluated on Monday by the experts, and they'll use a number of different tests to create a baseline as to where they think he's at. If they feel like he's okay, they're not out of the woods yet because now, and this is where it gets dicey like you were saying because it's hard to prepare, they don't know that if they are even told, okay, he looks good, they now get a game plan cranked up around Michael Vick. He goes out on Wednesday and Thursday, and now with the exertion, exertion, he starts to get a little blurry. He he starts to ring the bells. The the light is he's light sensitive. All the things that says no, you're not over the concussion yet. Now they've put maybe a week's worth of work in, and Michael Vick's not their quarterback now. Yeah, I think what they have to do, Brian, is they have to plan as if Mike is not going to be available. They have to plan as if Vince Young is still very very questionable, which means they have to go out and get another guy, uh, just in case Kafka. Is that how you say his name? Yeah. Kafka right. gets hurt, and uh, they got to hope that Mike can play. Mike will sit in all the meetings. He'll be out at practice whether or not he practices or not. He'll still absorb the information. But they've got a plan as if Mike is not going to be available. I think that's probably the prudent thing to do, and I'm sure that's what Andy's thinking as well. But it's not an enviable situation to be in, especially when you're dealing with your quarterback and as much as it revolves around – Mike Vick is does you know he he's a different guy you have a different game plan for Mike Vick than you have for other quarterbacks and, and the double whammy for them is we don't know the status of Vince Young is that hamstring healed up the last thing you want to do is say okay we're going to prepare a game plan assuming Vick doesn't play we're going to go with Vince Young because he looks pretty good but now he goes in the game and that hamstring tweaks I'm not sure that they don't and Kafka looked pretty good. He was 7-9 for 72 yards, actually had a chance to win the game, and, and there was a drop there that, that might have won the game for him. Um, I'm not sure that they don't go with Kafka because of the potential injury situation of Vince Young. Yeah, they probably will go with Kafka. But once again, do they go get somebody else? You know, And that <laughs> that's a big question. If you go get somebody else, you know he's a weak uh, – he's just a Band-Aid for a week, but that means you've got to cut somebody else on your team. Uh, or move someone to injured reserve if someone got hurt in the game last night. But it's a tough situation for them to be in. 
my gut feeling is that Mike will be okay. You know, it didn't look like it was a real severe hit. Interesting that everyone's worried about Mike getting hurt out of the pocket and he gets hurt by his own guy in the pocket. Right. You know, but, well, and uh, he told us that. He said he, he is more comfortable because he knows where his vulnerabilities are outside the pocket. It's in the pocket when you don't see some of those hits is when you get hurt. It's really funny because Steve Young, who I got a chance to coach uh, with the 49ers in those great years, used to say the same thing. He said, you know, I'd rather be outside the pocket running around because I control my environment. I know where everybody is. I see the open space in front of me. I know when I can get down, which brings up another interesting topic that I hear is how do quarterbacks slide? Steve Young never wanted to hook slide. He always wanted to dive head first because he wanted to protect his body. You know, I hear it's. I know it's. You just gave really? me kind of a. He a, thought he thought the, the eyebrow uh, deal. Uh, I thought it was yeah. a manly thing that nah, no, you I ain't know sliding what? into first it's base. It's funny, and I know we're going off topic a little bit here, but Steve used to say, "I would rather dive and get under the hit." then hook slide and expose my body to the hit. I thought it was an interesting point, and I see Mike doing the same type of thing. But if you're going to go at it that way, I would say as a defender, and I'd have a conversation with the league, well, he's not giving himself up that way. I want to stop him from getting the first down. And if he's going to lead head first, I have every right to hit him, as opposed to the guy that's sliding that's supposedly giving himself up and is now protected by the rules. Oh, that's a really good point. If he's diving, then he's trying to get yards. So, you know, the league has to understand that you can tee off on him, you know, and – as much protection as we're giving quarterbacks right now, I don't know how that will fly with the league. Last week, Jim, we talked a little bit about the pressures on the Falcons and Matt Ryan with Michael Vick coming in and all the things that attended to that. You had to feel good for Matt Ryan to have the kind of game that he did, the four touchdown passes, um, simply because knowing the kind of pressure he was under. Had they lost, had he not looked good for a second week in a row, losing to Michael Vick at home in Atlanta – that you don't wish that on anybody. No, and all the great things that he's done there in his in his tenure as a head coach. I mean, he's really been spectacular at home, especially, and he's a very good young quarterback. I think he's one of the great young quarterbacks in the league, um, and and he's a winner, you know, and he's a fighter, and you and you know him, and you've interviewed him just like I have. You know, he's a real leader. He's very mature. He has a great command of the game plan that they're installing each week. He's got a great command of their offense in general. He knows what defense are trying to do to attack him. His players rally around him. There's a lot of great things going on for this kid. And I think you saw it all kind of manifest itself last night in the way he, he played in the fourth quarter. Let's, let's again, let's, this is a quarterback. We have to call this the quarterback show <laughs> by, by Jim Mora and, and Brian Bell because we seem to be focusing so much on quarterbacks as the league does. But – uh, the game I had, I had Dallas at San Francisco, and given all the things we talked about with Tony Romo last week and the challenges in front of him, that it was a bit of a tipping point for not only the season but maybe a career, it was it was amazing to watch him come limping in off the sideline with the bad ribs to lead them from behind. Uh, it was a tremendous performance for Romo to come back from what happened last week. Well, Tony's a competitor. I mean, we all know that. He's an outstanding competitor, and he does a lot of great things. And and just he showed a lot of courage, not only playing with the, the ribs, but just going back out there and firing some passes in there that, as you said, because you did the game, were, you know, boy, a quarter inch here, a foot there, and, you know, it's disaster. But uh, that's kind of how he is. And uh, when it works, it's great. And when it doesn't, he right. takes a lot of heat for it. He's a Dallas Cowboys quarterback. He's high profile. He's made himself high profile just by the fact that uh, he, he plays for the Dallas Cowboys. Right. So When you're the quarterback for the Cowboys, the shortstop for the Yankees, or the, yeah. uh, the striker for Manchester United, you're, yeah. you know, or the president of the United States, you're going you're gonna to get second-guessed a lot. There was a point in the game 
a throw to Miles Austin that kind of was the, the that was the game-winning throw for my money that was really brought into sharp focus what we're talking about. That ball could have been just a tad late, just a little to the left. Still been a good throw, but either one of those things, Madua Williams intercepts it, and now we're, oh, there goes Romo again on a fourth-quarter meltdown. The f- difference between winning and losing is such a fine line. Good quarterback, bad quarterback, winning team, losing team. The, the, it's so fine. It's amazing to watch on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, I mean, this guy, I don't think there's anyone that would be justified saying this guy's a bad quarterback. Or I don't think there's anyone that's justified saying that he's not a good quarterback. He's a very good quarterback. He's maybe even a great quarterback. I just want to see him uh, win big. And uh, I want to see him make great plays in key games. And uh, when he does that, then, you know, then I'll put him up there in the elites with the, the – I'm talking about the guys that are playing today now, right. the, the Aaron Rodgers and the Drew Brees and the Tom Brady's. And although Peyton's not playing, you know, we know what Peyton's done recently. Uh, I think he's a very good quarterback. I think he's tough. I think he's smart. I think he's competitive. I think he's a good leader. Uh, I just want to see him – do something great at a great moment. I think he's going to benefit a lot from having Jason Garrett, who he's worked with for a while now, as his head coach. Certainly. Keeping in mind that Jason played for nine years in this league, Jason has a great deal of faith in Tony Romo. He's going to be able to give him a perspective, and a perspective not only as someone that's calling the offense, but who's been under center that will help Tony. As Tony said, I need to calm down my fundamentals. You know, uh, the great John Wooden used to say, play quick, but don't hurry. And, and that's what Tony Romo needs to do. He's got such a good, quick release. Sometimes he rushes himself, and if he can play quick – but don't hurry, that's when he's apt to not make those types of mistakes. Yeah, Jason Garrett's the perfect coach for him because, as you said, he's played the position. He understands the psyche of the quarterback, and I think Tony needs that right now. You know, you said it. He's, it's, a, it's about as high a profile position as you can find in professional sports, and you mentioned some others, but you're the, you're the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. There's a certain standard, and uh, I think that Jason understands that, and he can calm him down, and he'll be a great influence on him. And you have, to, you have to admire the way he came back yesterday, not just from the rib injury, but from the disappointment of the Jets game. And uh, he showed his mettle there. And like I said, he's a, he's a very, very, very good quarterback. I'm just not sure if he's a great, great quarterback yet. Let, let's talk. Uh, let's change gears here a little bit because we're now in week two, which we know is, is a lifetime in the NFL. It's funny that you, you know, last week you lose the first game, the world's over, and now a bunch of those teams are one and one. Uh, and, and, and life's real good. But a team that obviously, and it wasn't a huge win winning at home against Kansas City, a team that's struggling. But the Detroit Lions, let's talk about how real are the Detroit Lions. Well, they've won six in a row. And they've got momentum, and they believe in what they're doing, and they're playing good defense, and they've got a healthy quarterback right now throwing to one of the great receivers in the league and having a lot of success doing so. Uh I, I think they're a legitimate team. I think they're a legitimate contender. You know, once again, they're in a real difficult division. You know, you're talking about Green Bay and Chicago, two teams that, you know, both of us, I would say, would agree are, you know, really, really, really good, regardless of what happened to Chicago yesterday. Uh, I like what Detroit's doing. I like the way they've built their team. You know, they've done a great job along both lines. They've got a great young quarterback. Got to stay healthy. But uh, I, I think they're legit. Yeah, Matthew Stafford is showing a degree of uh, accuracy. That was my concern with him coming out of Georgia, that he 
um, was not as accurate as it was going to take. You know, the windows in the NFL are so tight. Uh, but he is, he's proven me wrong because his efficiency is – you know he's a tough guy. He's a great kid. He's a competitor and all that. But his accuracy and they're, they've got some weapons now, you know, offensively that they're tapping into. I agree. And the win at home, people look at that, okay, they beat Kansas City. It was huge. You know, it's a big step. for. Let's remember where Detroit came from. This was right. team, what, what, 30, 31 losses in a row? To be at home against a team you should beat, and you beat them, and you beat them substantially, that's a big thing, even though it may not look like it from the outside. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of doubters out there, and they say, hey, let's see what they do when they go against one of these really elite teams. But, uh, you know, I think when they play Green Bay or they play Chicago, you're going to see a very, very competitive game. I I don't know who's going to win those games. There's a lot that's going to happen, but... uh, I, I really have a lot of faith in what the Lions are doing as an organization and the way they're playing as a football team right now. The other team that, that a lot of people weren't sure about coming in, and it goes back mainly because of the quarterback situation, the Washington Redskins with Rex, Gross, Rex Grossman excuse me, as the quarterback, he continues to manage that team very, very well. Now, this week the Redskins ran much better than they did the year before, and that's the equation you want for Rex Grossman. Play good defense, run the ball, Arizona – you know, the, the West Coast team, all but Arizona being a West Coast team, coming east doesn't usually fare well. It was a tight game, but now Rex Grossman twice now has managed a tight game. He had more of a running game this time, but good solid. I mean, he threw it 43 times, two touchdowns, did have the two interceptions. I'm becoming increasingly impressed with the Washington Redskins. Well, I am too, and, I, and they're playing good defense as well. They busted a coverage yesterday or got beat on a coverage on Larry Fitzgerald's long one, but they're playing solid defense. They're running the football. They've got a quarterback who's making good decisions, and they're playing solid special teams. And you and I both know that's a real formula for success. And uh, I don't think they're asking, like you said, they asked, had him throw the ball 43 times, but I don't think they're asking him to win the game for him. I think more it's manage the game, don't lose it, make good decisions, put us in good situations, and he's doing those things. And, you know, he understands the system. He's been with, the, he's been with Kyle Shanahan. Uh, he knows what's expected of the quarterback, and uh, and then running the football. You you got to be able to run the football. You know, you got to be able to run the football when you need to run the football to win games. You got to be able to run the football to close games out. You got to be able to run the football when you're on the road, when the weather's bad, and it looks like they're going to be able to do that. I mean, Mike Shanahan's always had teams that could run the football. In uh, two weeks, I think it is, I have Carolina at Chicago, and that's going to be my first look at Cam Newton. You had Cam this last weekend. Yep. Obviously, he's the story of the NFL to a degree right now. Tell me what you thought of him having seen him in person now. Well, I was very impressed, and I was very impressed with the person as well as the player. You know, I wasn't sure what to expect going into the Friday production meeting, and he walked in, and he had he was bright-eyed. Uh, he talked about team rather than himself. Uh, he admitted the things that were his shortcomings and talked about ways he was going to go about improving those things. Um, and then the thing that was telling to me about you know the respect he's gained in the locker room is when a guy like Jordan Gross comes in, who's their right or their left tackle, who's a very smart guy in the league, and says, you know what, I this I was wrong about this guy. I really like this guy. Whatever we read or heard about him, we haven't seen those things. You know, everyone in the locker room loves him. Steve Smith respects him, which says a lot. And that's just talking about off the field. Now when he goes on the field, he's a big, strong, physical guy who keeps his poise under pressure. Uh, ha- he can make every single throw. I mean, he can make the, the deep out from the ha- far hash. Heck, he can make it from the far numbers. They can roll him out to the right, and he can throw it out to the left, you know, which you don't want to do very often, but he can make that throw. Um, he is not affected by pressure. 
Uh, he keeps his eyes up the field. Um, he, he made a couple, you know, poor throws yesterday. Um, but he throws it to the right spot. It's just yeah. not always accurate. And I so, like that. I, yeah. I, you know, we don't know how good or bad. They are 0-2. But with Carolina, I, I, I'm okay if he makes a bunch of mistakes. Make them now because that's going to bode well for next, next year. And right. so we talked last week about – not enabling this guy, put him in tough situations. He's going to fail, but what's the old saying? Your, your mistakes are really the only thing you can call your own. He'll learn from those. Sounds like he will. You made the observation. Typically, have a rookie. It's keep his throws under 30. Let's run the ball. You think they need to run the ball a little bit more. I, I think they need to run the ball. Uh, they've got two really good running backs in D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart. And you know, they, if they lean too heavily on Cam Newton, I think they could stun his growth a little bit. You know, he's going to have some tough afternoons. It's just the way this league goes. Every quarterback has some tough afternoons. And I think they need to run the football. I think they need to get those guys going a little bit. Um, Jonathan Stewart had a great game yesterday catching the ball underneath and on screens. He had went over 100 yards receiving. But I still think they need to establish the run, and I think they'll try to. Uh, but this kid is very impressive, Brian. When you get, you'll you'll really enjoy talking to him. You'll really enjoy watching him practice. He's loose. I'm not sure. Actually, I'm not sure you'll enjoy watching him practice because he goofs around a little bit. <laughs> a little too practice. Uh, maybe, yeah, yeah, for a rookie, maybe, just shut up and do your job. Yeah, huh? But he was an impressive guy to to be around for a couple of days, and and uh, I know that my perception of him, which was you know based on nothing other than media uh, conjuncture really changed. I have a lot of respect for him. You know, and we're going to talk about Cam Newton and, and a couple other in a no-huddle segment on our Coaches Show, which is every Monday at 6.30, uh, presented by Travelers. Uh, that just comes out. I can't say the Coaches Show beautiful. without saying you, you presented by Travelers. Down. But we're on every, six, every, every Monday at 6.30 Eastern Time on the NFL Network with our Coaches Show. We have a segment called No Huddle. We'll talk about that. Another one that we're going to talk about is um, the Bears, Jake Cutler, uh, you know, we talked about the Romo struggle last week, big week this week. Last week, Cutler looked so good. The Bears, now you knew it was going to be tough going down in New Orleans, but we both made the observation and saw, you know, whether it's the offensive line, whether it's schematically what they're doing to, to protect Jay Cutler, Jay Cutler may not see the end of the season the way he's getting beat up. Well, he's been sacked 11 times in two weeks, and that's going to take its toll on him. And if you remember, last year, early in the season, he took a tremendous beating. And you and I made the point last year that they maybe needed to change the way they were playing the game offensively and run the ball a little bit more. And that might be the case again this year. You know, you just can't expose your quarterback to that many hits. And whether he's holding it too long or not, I saw a couple times where guys just came free off the edge and had clean shots on him. And that just can't be a part of your package. Well, let's remember last year they, they struggled early with a revamp offensive line. They got to the bye, and there was a very noticeable change to obviously the Orioles won't play good defense, the emphasis on the run, and let's keep Jay Cutler to a 30, maybe 35 throw game. And as they did that in the second half of the season, they had great success that took them all the way to the championship game. Now, they're down in New Orleans. I understand you got to keep up, but that was a manageable game in the first half. They ended up only running the ball 12 times. Jay Cutler threw it 45 times, and he was getting beat up in the process. They, they're getting away from the formula here, and as hard as it is, to, to you know, you got talent like a Jay Cutler, and you want to make the big plays. You know, boy, if they had to do too much more of this, there's going to be a meeting of the minds with Lovey Smith and Mike Tyson, Mike Martz again. Whoa, did we forget our lessons from last year? We had to get back to the formula that wins for us. Yeah, I agree with you, and that's the formula that the Chicago Bears win with: play good defense, be solid on special teams, run the football, and and keep our quarterback 
protected so he can use the great skill set that he has. Um, we think that at some point last year, Levy Smith had to have a tough discussion with Mike March. You know, Mike is, a, is, a, is an offensive guru. I mean, he wants to sling it around. He wants to open it up. Um, that's how he's always been. I think he's just got to always be reminded of, you know, where he is and what their strengths are as a football team. And he's a very smart guy, and he, he understands it. But it's like all of us. Sometimes someone needs to come into your office, sit down, and remind you a little bit about, hey, this is who we want to be. Yeah. Let's talk about that matchup next week. We've got Green Bay at Chicago. So now, and they're obviously two teams, two-story teams that are very familiar with one another. Going And, and Chicago's actually played Dom Capers' defense fairly well. But that formula we're talking about, if you get into a 45-throw game against the Dom Capers' defense, that might not bode well for, particularly with Matthews coming off the edge, and that might not bode well for the Bears. Well, it just seems like eventually they get to you. And it was like yesterday with Carolina when they stopped running the ball. Eventually, Dom and that scheme and those great players they have, Clay Matthews, the Charles Woodsons, the Nick Collins, you know, hopefully he's okay to play. He took a, took a shot yesterday. But those guys, they get to you. So you have to have some balance. You have to try to keep the Green Bay defense off balance. That's going to be a great game to watch. I, I – I'll tell you this, Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion, is playing at a higher level at his position than any other athlete in all of professional sports right now. The guy is – That's saying a lot given the year that uh, Brady's having right now too. I I know. I'm with you you though. But I haven't seen Tom in person. I've seen Aaron in person. I've sat and talked with him and just the command he has of their offense, of their system, of what teams are trying to do to them defensively, it's really something to watch. The kid is – you know, through the last 14 games that he's played, he's been – I mean, there's there's really probably nobody like him. What was uh, – because you did the game, and I, and I was in San Francisco, and so I'm watching the scores roll out, seeing Carolina jump up. And we were obviously very focused on, on boy, Cam Newton, because that was mm-hmm. the big question, how is he going to do against that defense? But the the uh, it took a little while for Green Bay's offense to kind of get cranked up. What was that about? Well, they sat on the sidelines for seven and a half minutes before they took a snap because Uh, Carolina wins the toss, goes down and scores, kicks off. Randall Cobb runs into the back of one of his blockers and fumbles. Carolina gets the fumble, goes down, kicks a field goal. So Aaron Rodgers is sitting on the bench for seven and a half minutes without taking a snap. And then the other thing is I think you have to give some credit to Carolina's defense. They played very well on defense, especially in the red zone. You know, they, they absorbed four turnovers. You know, Carolina turned the ball over four times, so that was four times that the defense had to go on the field and try to get a stop. And they, I think they limited them to three field goals and a touchdown in those, in those four uh, situations. So I thought their defense played really well. But the thing about Green Bay is they've got so many weapons. Like here's Jordy Nelson, who last week played really well against New Orleans and had a lot of productivity. And this week you're not hearing his name. You know, you're not hearing his name. You're not hearing his name. Where's this Jordy Nelson guy? And then, boom, 84-yard touchdown pass, right. you know, out of nowhere. And you can only hold those guys down so long before one of them, whether it's Nelson, Jennings, Jones, Driver, Jermichael Finley, you know, Ryan Grant, Starks, one of those guys gets free and makes you pay. Uh, other games coming up, obviously. Now, we, we don't know as of yet when we do this podcast. It's on Monday prior to the Monday night game. So we don't know how – the Giants are playing at home against uh, St. Louis, but next week, and you got to, you know, after a short week, you then play Philadelphia uh, at Philadelphia. That's a tough combination. Um, let's talk about how that might match up. Two teams that actually could kind of go limping in there against one another. Yeah, that that uh, that's an interesting matchup, and a lot of 
the how the Giants play Philadelphia will probably depend on whether or not Mike Vick is playing, and that's something we won't know till later in the week. But you know, those are two teams that are very familiar with each other. Uh, they're not going to surprise each other. Uh, the players know how to play the other team, uh, but I think a lot of that has to do with with Mike. You know, what is the situation with Mike? And then, as you said, how do the Giants come out of tonight's game? You yeah. know, do they get a win to get back to one and one, or do they get upset and they're sitting at zero and two? And the wheels are coming off, so there's a lot of intrigue concerning that game. And we've both been in that situation. We just talked about the dilemma for Philadelphia and Andy Reid and what kind of game plan do I go? Do I have Michael Vick? Do I go with Kev? Do I go with Vince Young? That works the flip side, too. If, if, if you're Perry Fuel and the New York Giants, what do I prepare for? I, I'm not going to know. Is Vic going to go? So I, do, I, do I put that fill the lane, rush five and six? Am I going to play this young guy, Kafka, that's going to operate out of the pocket? Am I going to face Vince Young? That could really test the Giants in terms of, well, what do we game plan for? Yeah, you're right about that. I think what Perry has to do is just say, listen, we're going to prepare as if Mike's the right. guy. Because and figure that's good enough for the other two. Yeah, that's the prudent thing to do. And if we can control Mike, then we ought to be able to control these other guys. But the, the key thing, and you know it, gosh, is – is it's what we do. It's not always about what they do. It's let's execute our stuff the best we can execute it. And if we do that, then no matter what they throw at us, if we follow our rules and we communicate and we tackle well and we run to the football, then we'll be fine. Interesting matchup in the AFC. We've got New England at Buffalo. Buffalo 2-0. Uh, now, this is a team that hasn't had a winning record this century, so it's worth <laughs> knowing, you know, that, okay, they're, they're 2-0. But it was against Kansas City. It's at home against Oakland. Uh, we are about to find out if Buffalo and Ryan Fitzpatrick is for real against these New England Patriots. Well, yeah, I mean, they're 2-0. and They're off to a great start, two big wins. And this will be the true test for the Bills, at least early in the season. And they're, they're absolutely building something there. I mean, you can't take that away from them. And for me, they don't even have to beat New England to convince me that they're on the right path. They just have to play them tough, not make mistakes, uh, not let the, the atmosphere of really probably their first big game in many, many years, you know, get to them, uh, perform at a high level. Uh, it's going to be tough for them to beat New England. I mean, the way New England's operating offensively right now, I don't know who can slow them down. But uh, if the Bills can just have a good showing and look like a good football team, you know, look solid, not make mistakes, hang in there, then, uh, then I think they're going to gain a lot of respect from people around the country. Uh, I'm interested in, in your take on this, Jim, because you had to do this a lot as an assistant and as a head coach. Again, we saw an example of West Coast teams going east and struggling, and that's a familiar refrain. You saw Seattle go in and get shut out by Pittsburgh. Uh, Arizona, I know not technically a West Coast team, but we're going to lump him in there, and went in and played actually pretty good against the Washington Redskins. We talked about the Oakland Raiders jumping up on a lead and then, and then uh, 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 Buffalo coming back uh, and losing. Um, you know, the, 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 and, then and then San Diego, Diego and New, New England, England yeah. right. So there again, it's, you know, they were 0 for 4. Talk a little bit about the difficulties oh. in preparing for an East Coast game when you're on West Coast team. You know, it, it's really hard. It's really difficult, especially when it's a 10 a.m. kickoff on the West Coast, so a 1 o'clock East Coast kickoff. You know, you do everything that you can possibly imagine doing to try to get your team prepared to play an early game. You practice earlier. You bring them in for meetings earlier. You might travel a day early, or you might get in late and just try to keep them on a normal schedule. But the bottom line is your body 
just the, the body just doesn't get going for some reason. And you're in a foreign environment. You know, you're, there's a three-hour time difference, so you have trouble sleeping the night before the game, so you wake up tired. You're having pregame meal at what, you know, it's 5.30 or 6 a.m. by your body clock. And all those things affect you. Now, you would say, hey, these are professional athletes. They're highly trained athletes. They're getting paid a lot of money to go out there and perform. It shouldn't matter what the environment or what the situation is. But the bottom line is it does affect you. I mean, it affected you as a coach. You know, it's hard to get sure thinking fast that early. You just weren't used to doing it. And uh, I think, you know, statistically it's been proven very, very profoundly that West Coast teams don't travel east very well. And I know there's probably, you know, Joe Q fan is sitting there to agree going, good, my goodness gracious. Sure. You know, I make that run all the time. Yeah. I make that way. I go to New York all the time. I got to work. I got to do my job. Well, I don't think there's a lot of 320 pound linemen trying to rip your head off when you pull into <laughs> LaGuardia right. or Newark or whatever. Uh, there is a physical aspect to it. And, and I'm with you. It was interesting how we, when we went primarily from the East coast to the West coast, which is an easier run. You still have to adjust the times. You still worry about it as a coach. I remember we went to play San Diego one time and we left early and, and I put on the schedule cause I wanted them to recognize why curfew was at eight o'clock. Well, because it's 11 o'clock body time and why we have the pregame meal, you know, at, at, at uh, uh, an early time because well your body time it's it's 530 in the morning because your body time says you need to eat breakfast at 830 in the morning and the players just got so they didn't know what city they were in what time they were in you know they were coaching am I practicing at 830 or 530 is that which time zone am I why don't you just just put the time up where we're at how about I just figure it out so you can overthink it as coaches oh you, you absolutely can but it's just hard. Your circadian rhythm is off, Brian. Yeah, very good. You know, that's your internal time clock, and uh, it's hard to get it going. And, and, you know, you go to a place like St. Louis, for instance, okay, and you're a West Coast team, and you walk in there, and you've played there, and it's uh, it's 7 a.m. by your body clock, and it's cold, and it's dark in there, and it's just not an environment that says, right. hey, let's get it going. What I used to do is – We'd crank up some music in the locker room. Just get it going. Just try to, you know, just try to get the adrenaline flowing a little bit. So we have some rap playing, at, you know, early in the morning, loud in the locker room, which is kind of counterintuitive what people think would be going on. But you're doing anything you can. You might be popping smelling salts at, you know, three hours before the game, but you're just trying to get yourself going. Well, there are those in the league, and, and, and you're a West Coast guy, so I'm going to ask you. There are those in the league that says, look, that's just not fair it, when a team goes east to west, let's at least give them the 4 o'clock kickoff. What do you think of that? Well, uh, I know what you think of it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait but a I'm minute tell Home you field you, advantage I, is home field advantage. Tell you, yeah, that's right. I, I would love, as a West Coast guy and a guy that's coached a lot of West Coast teams, I think that that's the right thing to do. <laughs> Okay, no, now if we do that, though, I when I, I come to Seattle, you got you got to put mufflers on all the that's, fans because that's, right. that's too much noise, they so that's not fair. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. No, I mean, it's just something you have to somebody, – somebody will find a way to adjust it. I mean, we talked to sleep specialists. Yeah. We talked about, you know, how we traveled, what we wore, what we eat. Did we put things over their eyes? Did we have – little uh, lights, these heat lamps that, that, that put off the ultraviolet rays in their face, you know, on the plane in the morning when they woke up and moved all kinds of silly little things. The bottom line is it's up to each individual to find a way to get themselves up and going. And uh, unfortunately for a lot of these West Coast teams, no one's figured that out yet. 
you know, before we get done here, I've, I've got to ask you because you and I have enjoyed, and, and it's a different perspective. You know, you and I have talked many times about when you're coaching, you got blinders on. It's about you, your team, your perspective, your team, your specific situation. Doing what you and I do, we get to sit in a different facility every Friday. We visit with coaches and, and general managers and players, and then we get that feel for the game. And then I, I enjoy going – home and going to the airport and because you got fans that are traveling when I got done there must have been a hundred Dallas fans in the airport ready to go home and it's interesting to see the view of this league from those people that are not just paying for the tickets they're paying for the hotels the flights I mean these are passionate fans and so you get to watch the game as a whole and you and you try to draw on your experiences and figure you know what I've been doing this for 35 years I ought to be able to size this up a little bit and you're surprised by the Cam Newtons of the world and it's great you got to help me man cuz it's above my how does Baltimore go in and lose after what we saw them do to the Pittsburgh Steelers how does a Baltimore Raven team go in and absolutely lay an egg against the Tennessee Titans? Well, it shouldn't happen. I mean, it's too good of a football team for that to happen. But I think the reality here is that all off season there was that the 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 communication between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens about is this a rivalry or isn't it a rivalry? And the Steelers saying it ain't a rivalry to us because you guys never beat us. And I think that there was just such great buildup for that first game against Pittsburgh that they had a letdown. And, uh, you know, that shouldn't happen. And if you're a really good team, that shouldn't happen. But it did happen. And the, you know what? The Ravens are a really good football team. I and mean, they've got all the pieces in place to make a real run at this thing. They just they, – they had a letdown. And, you know, who do you blame? Do you blame the coaches? Do you blame the players? Do you just blame circumstance? You know, I don't know if blame's the right thing. It just – it happened. Now, let's just see how they respond to it. And I – you know, knowing those guys the way I do and having watched them for years and, you know, you've had experience with them, I, I think that the, the Ravens would respond the right way, but it was certainly disappointing for them especially. Well, they, they play St. Louis, which is right. a, a pretty good opponent to come back. I, I'd hate to be St. Louis at this point with yeah. the Ravens coming back. I'm anxious. I have not seen the film yet. I'm anxious to see. I mean, that's pretty good defense that Matt Hasselbeck kind of carved up. And, of course, you're so familiar well, with Matt. Yeah, well, Matt Matt is a very you know underrated quarterback, and it's amazing you'd be saying that about a guy like Matt Hasselbeck and his stature. But he is when he's hot, when he's seeing things, he is accurate. He makes quick decisions. He operates at a high tempo. Um, he's hard to compete against. And he, that, he got going yesterday. You know, he got that defense on their heels a little bit. He was seeing things. Uh, he knew where to go with the football, and he was delivering it on time. Matt is an outstanding quarterback still in this league, and I think he proved it against a really good defense yesterday. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, these podcasts are uh, sponsored by Bud Light, and uh, we hope you can join us every week. That's going to wrap it up for us. You can catch this podcast every week on NFL.com and is downloadable on iTunes. Head to NFL.com backslash podcast for more. Next week, we'll go through all the games and have this great back and forth between Jim Moore and myself, Brian Billick. Make sure you come back and and join us on the Coaches Show podcast presented by Bud Light. 